follow up with the series. I started a little bit before Noah came uh, about the spiritual gifts and the Spirit of God at work uh, in a church. I uh, looked back and it was back at the 1st of July uh, when we uh, finished off with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, since then, we've had ordinations, we've had communions, we've had uh, special uh, sacrifices of praise services, and then I've had vacations, and so it's been forever, and so I feel like I might need to do a little review uh, here. And so if you'll go ahead and get your Bibles out, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to do a review of chapter 12, and then we're going to go to chapter 14. Uh, where we're going to talk, especially, Lord willing, we've got the time, about uh, speaking tongues and prophecy, uh, as these are two major gifts that uh, Paul highlights uh, because of what was going on in the church of Corinth. Um, I think back in uh, this past weekend, uh, we were one of the houses, I don't know how many have lost power, but uh, we lost power Friday night. Uh, something around 8.30, 9 o'clock, didn't come on at our house till about 5 or so the next morning. And um, it got hot quickly uh, in our house. And just one of those reminders of how precious electricity is uh, in, in our lifestyle. And um, we were very pleased even at 5.30 in the morning for lights to come on. Um, you've never been so happy for lights to come on at 5.30 in the morning. Um, and I thought about that, and I thought, you know, my, my, one of my jobs my granddad had uh, in West Virginia, and then when he moved down to North Carolina, he was an agricultural agent uh, in West Virginia. And then when he came down to North Carolina, he uh, got a job with CPL briefly, and his job was to sell power to farmers, sell electricity. I thought, what kind of job is that? has got to be the easiest job in the world. <laughs> To sell electricity. But back then, it needed to be persuaded. Uh, folks had lived without power and, were, and knew how to do that. And so you had to persuade people to spend money on power. And I thought, wow, I don't think that job lasted too long uh, for Granddad. It wasn't too long before he was working in the parolee boards um, as a parolee officer. And, uh, but I thought, think back at that, man, how strange just to think of society where you have to have salespeople hired to sell power. And I thought, you know, in the church, when we read the scripture, we can liken the Spirit of God to power, to electricity. But how many times do people like myself have to sell a church on the need for the Holy Spirit in our lives? Theoretically, we know He's there. But we're not hooked up, we're not submissive, we're not yielded to the Spirit of God, and we don't see the benefit of God's Spirit in church because, honestly, we see a lot of good things that can happen on our own power. And that's the danger. Because the things we do on our own power may have the mark of godliness, but deny the power thereof, and thus become symptomatic of the church in the end times. According to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And often the question is asked if the Spirit of God is removed from a church, would the church know the difference? Would we know the difference if the Spirit of God was removed from our presence? Or would things continue on much the same because we're doing it in our own 
manner in our own strength. Uh, I want us to consider uh, uh, this, these two chapters, chapter 12 and chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, because it, it brings to us a little bit of what a salesman might say. These are the things that could happen uh, if the Spirit of God is working using His gifts among the body. And the gifts are the effects of God's working. Uh, some of you may be thinking about how does the Spirit of God work in salvation. One of the things that you can keep in your mind is that salvation is authored by God the Father. It is from God the Father's heart. He authors it. It is accomplished by God the Son. Jesus did everything needed to accomplish our salvation, but it is applied by God the Spirit. And so if we are not connected to God the Spirit, then it is as if God did not send His Son to die on the cross for us. Do you get that? If we're not submitted to the Spirit of God, it's as if Jesus didn't even die on the cross for us. It's as if it never came out of God's heart. And so much of us understand it coming from God the Father. We have studied how Jesus accomplished it on the cross. That's what Easter is about. That's what, what Christmas is about is from the Father. All right? Uh, but we spend so little time thinking about how is it being applied in our life and the importance of being submissive to the Spirit of God. Okay? If you do not have the Spirit of God, you are not a child of God, according to 1 John. It is part of the nuts and bolts of what it means to be a believer. And so consequently, a church that does not have God's Spirit in the church ceases to be a church. A church is defined by the mission of Jesus Christ, defined by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And if you don't have either one of those two, a church is not a church. Okay? So just kind of get that and, and know the importance of that. Now, that being said, let's go to chapter 12. And uh, I just, I'm going to run through it. So just have your Bibles open, and we're going to go through it quickly. And I'm basically I'm going to give you, uh, well, two sermons in one, and just give you the summary of the last two sermons, just in case you weren't there or you don't remember. All right? So, verse 1, he's talking about concerning spiritual gifts. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. In other words, this is a teaching passage of which I want you to know, chapter 13. What's chapter 13? What's the subject? Love, right? It's the great love chapter. Do you understand that the love chapter is in the context of believers dealing with one another? It's in the context of spiritual gifts being utilized for one another. It's not the text that was written, uh, when you guys get married, make sure you read this. (laughs) The text was given not for marriage, though it's certainly applicable, it's given for the church. And so when we talk about love out loud... We cannot love out loud as a church unless we are submitted to the Spirit of God, unless we're utilizing the gifts that God has given us, all right, to do love and to to prefer one another. So that's just something for you to consider. Now, first of all, I I gave you this point. The Spirit of God produces the worship of God through the people of God declaring the Word of God. End goal of the Spirit in life today, God's glory. Worship of God. To do what Jesus said needed to be done. How does the Spirit bring worship to God? He does it through God's people. Through you. Through the temple. You. Jesus is our temple. And as we are in Jesus, we become part of that temple. What makes us a temple is God's Spirit in us, working through people who will declare God's Word. The Spirit of God lives today in this world through you. 
Do you get that? How does the Bible live today? The Bible lives today through God's people obeying God's word. All right? So consequently, some countries don't have God's word. Because there's no people obedient to the Christ of the word of God. Okay? So as a society is is influenced, is influenced by God's people being submissive to the king through the spirit of God. All right. So that was point one. Point one. The spirit of God produces the worship of God through the people of God declaring the word of God. Number two, the spirit of God gifts each believer. Notice verse seven to each of us is giving the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Every believer has gifting a expression of God's spirit in their life. OK, point number three. The Spirit of God gifts each believer for the good of the church. You notice again, verse 7, for the common good. All right? Now, point number four. The Spirit of God gifts each believer to be interdependent. Now, listen carefully. Not independent. The Spirit of God is not given to us to be independent. The Spirit of God is given to us to be interdependent. What's the difference? I need a brother and sister in Christ for me to mature in Christ. I need a brother or sister in Christ for me to accomplish the task God's given me as far as the Great Commission, given you as the Great Commission. Um, and, and so you see this as we keep on reading, especially through verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit... The utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit. And he keeps on listing these out, and we're going to go through these in detail a little bit, just describe them. But the idea is he gives this metaphor of the body and body members that need one another for it to be able to perform as a body. Point number five. The Spirit of God gives unity to the people of God. Notice verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. What is our common point? It is God's Spirit. And I was presenting this in contrast to music styles being what unifies God's people. In contrast to ethnic groups, to economics, to education, to dress. These are not what unites God's people. And so when we emphasize these other aspects... Is it any wonder that the church in America is marked by schisms and splits? These were never given to United Church. And when emphasis is given on these, the natural result is divided church. Unite on Christ and His Spirit. We read in verse 12, the Spirit of God gives diversity to the people of God. So it's unity. But it's not that we're all exactly the same. This is verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. It is natural for us, it is spiritual for us, to look at an issue and come at it with different angles and different perspectives that we might think is contradictory to one another. And we might view each other as against one another and competing one another when actually they're not competing but complementing complimenting one another when someone has the spiritual gift of giving of teaching uh, they will look at teaching and look at the 
the programs and ministries of the church, and they're going to emphasize, we need to make sure there's good Bible teaching. And are the teachers being trained? And do they have the resources uh, to be able to teach others? And that is good and is right. And then someone else will, will have a different angle, maybe the spiritual gift of evangelism, and say, well, what's good of all this teaching if we're not sharing the gospel? And these two may feel like they're competing one another, but they're not. They're complementing one another because it's not either or. It's both and. So the Spirit of God gives diversity to the people of God. And then the Spirit of God gifts abilities and produces fruit in the people of God. In other words, we can't go and say, you know what, I just don't have the spiritual gift of serving. Do you guys have fun? I'm going to do my own thing. <laughs> no. This is a, a work that the Spirit of God is working in me to, to produce fruit. And part of that is love through service. And we can't excuse ourselves and say, well, you know, I don't really have the gift of evangelism. So let me call someone up from the church and I'm going to put these two folks together because I don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm not going to share the gospel with this person. Those are excuses we give ourselves to try to get out of obedience. All right? So keep on reading. That was sermon number one from 1 Corinthians 12. All right? So sermon number two from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, as we read this together, uh, I want you to notice that in the Spirit, we are one with Christ. Very much the same idea of one of the things I brought out. Just put more emphasis. In the Spirit, we are one with Christ. We cannot separate Christ from the body. What one does to the body, we do to Christ. That's verse 12. And so when you belittle someone in the church body, you're belittling Christ. When you're... Uh, Persecuting, as, as Paul Paul found this out, he was persecuting believers. And Jesus approached Paul in the Damascus way and said, why are you persecuting me? And so how you treat one another is how you're treating Christ. And so in the spirit, we are one with Christ, regardless of Jews, Greeks, slave or free. Uh, in the spirit, point number two of that sermon, in the spirit, unity is something we already possess and we just preserve. In other words, we don't have to create unity. We preserve unity. The natural spiritual state of a church is to be unified. And when it's not, something has come in that has taken it apart from the Spirit of Christ. And it's part of our job is to identify that and help us to find, preserve the unity that Jesus has already granted to us. All right? Now, we keep on reading. In the Spirit, differences are abundant and good. This is the, the difference of the body, the foot, the feet, the nose. These differences are a good thing. And we don't try to squelch the differences. And the spirit, our roles are all different, but valuable. They're all different, but valuable before the Lord. Because it is unto the Lord. And in the spirit, we answer Jesus' prayer. When we are in the Spirit, we are being an answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 20 through 23. When he said, Jesus said this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. All right? 
So when Jesus prayed that in John 17, when we are submitted to the Spirit of God, we answer that prayer. All right, so you can be a fulfillment to the prayer that Jesus prayed when we submit to the Spirit of God. Now, I want us to go back up in chapter 12, and we're going to look at some of the gifts that are specifically mentioned. You see around verse 8, 9, 10. Paul starts listening out some specific gifts, and I'm just going to kind of give a brief description uh, of these gifts, and then he spends a lot more time on this uh, in chapter 14. Now, I want you to understand something. No one person has all these gifts, except for Jesus. No one person has all of the spiritual gifts. Paul was talking to a church that were feeling very sure of themselves and their spiritual gifts, and were using as benchmarks of intimacy with God. Hey, look at me. I can speak in tongues. I can speak in the tongues of angels. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's going to be impressive. You can converse with an angel, really. All right. Uh, and, and so these were benchmarks of spiritual intimacy. And Paul is doing some correction here. Uh, and so he says, look, <laughs> no one has all of them. Because if that was the case, then no church would be needed. We need one another. So uh, that's just something for you to realize and uh, how he's dealing with this. Now, notice this is through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom. Now, when we're talking about having wisdom, this is the utterance of wisdom, what we're talking about is that someone may be gifted with insight into God's will uh, in an area that is not always spilled out. All right? So sometimes we read the Word of God and it makes it clear. All right? No, you don't commit adultery. It, you know? God's word is sure. You don't debate that. Uh, But then there are some things that are not so black and white. uh, That's maybe gray. And someone with the gift of wisdom can maybe have some insight uh, into the situation of knowing what to do. And then the Bible speaks about the utterance of knowledge. The utterance of of knowledge. I believe this is perhaps speaking to a a sense of special knowledge uh, that you might see in chapter, in fact, in chapter 14, verse 25, of the ability, the God-given insight of knowing what's going on in a person's heart and mind. I think about John chapter 4 and the Samaritan woman that Jesus came across. And Jesus was gifted at that time through the Spirit of God with some knowledge into this woman's life. Now, this is before Google. He didn't know who this woman was. God uh, allowed Jesus, through the Spirit, to know these things and reveal these things. And part of that was the persuasion of the Samaritan woman that this man is not just a prophet. And she became a messenger to the city around. All right, so this could be an example of what we're talking about with the utterance of knowledge, uh, where the secrets of the heart might be revealed by God the Father to someone through the Spirit. All right, and so then we're talking about the uh, verse 9. The gift of faith, all right? So what we're talking about here is not normal saving faith, but perhaps maybe to perceive in a specific situation what God wants to do and trust Him for it, okay? So it's not just to believe that Jesus Christ died for you and rose again, have saving faith, but in a maybe crisis, maybe in a certain situation, to have some sense of what God wants to do and believe Him for it, Okay? So I'm talking about a little bit different than just saving faith, but a faith in action in life, okay? And so we keep on reading here where it talks about um, to another gifts of healing. 
Now, this is a spiritual ability to pray for God's supernatural work. Um, I would say this is common among the frontier work of the gospel. But you notice, even in the New Testament, you see that this seems to be a gift that starts to die down. Why do I say that? Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18, Paul speaks of leaving a person at a place because he's sick. Now, if you remember in Acts and, and some of the other passages, it talks about Paul and how God gifted Paul with special gifts of healing. And so which some people just with a hanky of Paul could have healing. That's pretty amazing. But we see even in Paul's example that there seems to be a dying down even in the New Testament. Uh, many of you uh, know Finney Matthews. Uh, Finney is... Uh, one of the partners that we support as a church, uh, have supported him in the past, uh, and the work that he does in India. Uh, first time I was there in India, uh, I preached, and, and uh, it was an evangelistic event out in the fields with an amazing crowd of Hindus, about 5,000 some folks there. And, and then they had us speakers uh, get out, and Finney kept on and did the invitation, and it was going really long. And so I had to ask, what, what's going on? Oh, Finney, they're, they're doing a healing. <laughs> what? I, no, one, no one briefed me on this. What, what, what is this that you're talking about? Because if you're like me, in our situation, when we think of a healing, I'm thinking someone like Benny Hinn. All right? And it's, and it's, and it's not an image I really want to be around. And I'll just be honest with you. I, I don't want to be around that image. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of concerned. And so I talked with Finney about this. He says, you know, we believe that in India, that it's very much like it is in Acts, where we are on the frontier of people, of large people groups who've never heard Jesus. And we believe that God can gift healing in those situations to speak to the power of the name of Christ. And, you know, I couldn't really disagree with that. So... All that, and we'll talk about that a little bit, but all that is to say that there's some situations where God might grant this, a special ability to pray for God's supernatural work that specially speaks to the gospel. Paul certainly is, knows it exists here in verse 9. And then verse 10, another of the work of miracles, and I think this goes hand in hand with the gift of healing. Verse 10, to another prophecy. And we're going to talk in detail about that, but just in, in, in a nutshell, to say this is the ability to speak God's will into a situation at just the right time and how to apply scripture to someone's life. Sometimes it is a situation like, like what we might have now where someone's teaching the word of God, uh, and it's, but it's more than just explaining God's word because you can read about that. But this is something where God uh, works together, brings circumstances together, uh, the timing is just right, and the application to your life that hits you from God's word, this is God speaking to you. All right. There's been times when someone's come up to me and they said, I, I speak one, I think of one specifically where someone said, you know, I was, I was really kind of struggling with this issue and, and it was about lottery, whether or not to buy lottery tickets. And this is when it was first starting coming to our state. And, and he said, you know, you, when you preached this past Sunday, just really, it directed me. I, I was not going to do any lottery. And I racked my brain thinking, I did not say one word about lottery. How, I didn't preach about that. What, what, how did that happen? And it's just God's word through God's spirit 
hitting them and, and coordinating events in their life where it hit home with where they're at. So, so the prophecy could speak to a, a preaching event, but it could also be uh, more to that in, an, in a more interpersonal setting. And, and, and I'll speak to that in just a little bit, Lord willing. Um, and then to another ability to distinguish between spirits, um, to say, you know, this is of the Lord or this is not of the Lord. Um, and then to another various kinds of tongues and to another interpretation of tongues. I, I want you to know that there's, you'll find six different lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. You find there, there's, there's two more in 1 Corinthians. There's one in Ephesians. There's one in Romans, one in 1 Peter. And none of them are exactly the same with just a little overlap. And so altogether, there's about 22 gifts. But what I would argue is that in none of these passages do you have an exhaustive list. In other words, the Spirit of God today, working in a church, may be operating through a spiritual gift that's not even mentioned in the Bible. Okay? That's why I'm saying that it's not an exhaustive list when you have these different lists put out. And I think it's good to study and to see how God has worked in the past. God can certainly still work in these ways. But there's also perhaps other areas that have not even been written down that God can work through. Peter, in writing about, lumped it in two categories. Those who speak for God and those who serve for God. And that might be good generalities. Those who serve for the Lord and those who speak for the Lord. In the Old Testament, you see the Spirit of God working in different ways. But in one way, it was to empower a, a carpenter, uh, a skill, skilled man, to work with the, with the tabernacle and create furniture, beautiful art. So you see different ways the Spirit of God has worked in the past. Now, um, we need to go to chapter 14 uh, and, and look at what's there. But uh, just simply... Know that a spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered, empowered by the Holy Spirit used in the ministry of the church. And I would just give this clarification. What is the ministry of the church? Is it not the mission of Jesus? So the Spirit of God and the spiritual gift is still the Spirit of Jesus pursuing His mission, pursuing His work through the church, through His people. All right, now, let's go to, to chapter 14. This is, um, I'm going to try to do what I can in the 10 minutes that remain. <laughs> I'm talking about prophecy and tongues. So let me make this disclaimer. I will not finish it. Do not be overly frustrated uh, with me, all right? But notice verse 1, pursue love. Pursue love. You remember, all right, simple math. All right, what comes before 14? 13, what's 13 about? Love. So he's going to go back to the spiritual gifts topic, one that's especially hot in, in, in Corinth and perhaps today. And he says, but remember this, as we're about to deal with the subject, pursue love. In your pursuit of all these spiritual gifts to be a spiritual superhero, I mean, what, just think about it. What kind of gift would you, would you want? What kind of superpower would you want, you know? And, and so here are these folks trying to do that. And he says, just remember, in all these things, the greatest thing you can desire and achieve is to love each other. Church, gifts of ministration, the gifts of, of healing, gifts of speaking tongues, the gifts of prophecy, the gifts of teaching, all these gifts that could happen. 
and all that our church may lack, the greatest thing still is loving each other. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Let me just kind of give four views as we talk about these spiritual gifts that you see today. There's one view called the cessationist view. All right. Uh, cessationist. I guess I should have put that on there so you know how to spell that. Um, basically, these folks believe that the spiritual gifts, for a large part, have ceased. Gifts like prophecy, tongue, healings, what's called sign gifts, have ceased to be in operation today. That's one view some people have today of this. Then there's the Pentecostal view. These gifts are in full operation, and they're normal for every believer. And if you're not operating with these spiritual gifts, these sign gifts like speaking tongues and healing and um, uh, these, these miracles and prophecy, then something's wrong with you, and you get your life right with God. All right? Um, so that, that's one view. And then there's the charismatic view where gifts are in existence, and part of the normal, normal ministry operations of the church, but not everyone has them, all right? So it's just a little bit lesser degree than uh, the Pentecostal, where everyone ought to have them. The charismatic says, well, no, not everyone, but it should be an operation in the church today. Um, then there's what some have called the open but cautious view, all right? And this is how I would identify myself, uh, open but cautious, where... Uh, the gifts and sign gifts, it's not that they ceased. We're still open that God is working and doing these things. But most of the way gifts are being used today, and I would say in America, is not really biblical and maybe harmful. Okay? This is why I would want to distance myself from a, a person like Benny Hinn. Uh, I think that much of what he's done is very harmful. Um, in, in how he presents these spiritual gifts. Um, so I, I'll just present what's, just so you know where I, what I think it, it's an open but cautious view. Uh, so, verse 2, he, he, verse 1, he recommends especially prophecy. Verse 2, for one who speaks in tongue speaks not to man but to God, for no one understands them, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophecies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. All right, here's, there's really only two points to this. The first point is this. Because of the Spirit, we meet with the church to build others up. Because of the Spirit, we meet with each other to build each other up. It is the purpose of our spiritual gifts, as we'll see in the scripture, but it's also the standard by which we evaluate our actions and behavior. Okay? So this is, this is a concept Paul knows, and he's putting it in place in verse 3, when he talks about how we use these gifts uh, that is done for the purpose of upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. All right, so when we're talking about prophecy, he says, I, I recommend especially prophecy. This is speaking God's word into a situation. Again, one can be done by preaching. To explain God's word, uh, it can be done by wisdom. Number two, it can be done by wisdom and insight into an issue where you don't have verses, where it's not spelled out. You can apply and you can say, this is what I believe God might be saying here uh, in this situation when you don't have verse and scripture that you can anchor it to. 
uh, are, are by knowledge. As you see, notice verse 25 of this chapter. This is that word of knowledge I was talking about. What the secrets of the hearts are disclosed, and so falling in the space, you will worship God and declare that God is really among you. This is someone operating with a spiritual gift, and this is the effect. The spirit of the heart was disclosed. God gave a word of knowledge of, of a secret was going on in this person's life. And it was exposed, much like Jesus did with the Samaritan woman. This could be a word of prophecy where God's word is speaking into a situation. Now, that being said, <clears throat> I've got a few disclaimers to put around that. Um, and I think it, it's probably important for us to, to think through this. Verse 3 speaks to the purpose. Now, you see some people in the New Testament who are called prophets. One of them is an example in Acts 21, verse 10. Agabus comes and meets Paul. And, and, and God, the Bible titles him as a prophet. And, and, and he gives a word of warning of what's going to happen to Paul if he continues to Jerusalem. And so you've got this an example of Agabus. And I think this might be a good example of what we're talking about. Then uh, there's 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19 through 21. Just mark this, write this in your notes. It's, it simply says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. The New Testament acknowledges a concept, an action called prophecy. You see this in uh, New Testament examples. But I just want to give you some words of caution about this. If, if you sense that God may be speaking to you, maybe giving you a, a word of knowledge, of insight into what's going on in a person's life and into a person's situation, don't do this. Don't claim God's authority when you're giving it. Don't say to that person, God is telling you this. Okay? You have just put yourself in a very high place. And you're not acknowledging the blind spots in your own life. Here is a better way of saying something like this. I believe that God may be directing me to say this to you. Okay? That's so much better to receive. Because how do you argue with someone that says, God told me to tell you this? Nuh-uh. You know, it doesn't leave you in a place to do that. And it's assuming a high place for yourself. And you're not acknowledging the own tendencies of your own heart to get something wrong. You'll see in Agabus' example that not everything was exactly as Agabus said would happen to Paul. So much so that if it was under an Old Testament definition of prophecy, he could have been stoned. All right? But it's more or less this man spontaneously putting in his own words what he senses God's putting in his heart and life. When you're giving insight into a situation, what might be called prophecy, it's always best when it's tied to scripture verse. If it is of God's word, if it's of God's heart, you can give it to them, give them scripture, and let them test it and weigh it for themselves. If it's of the Lord, it will prevail in their heart. Don't feel like you have to persuade them. But it's best when you tie it to scripture so that people can read it for themselves. Maybe it's a principle that comes from a, a scripture passage. Give it for the purposes that verse 3 says. Why should I tell someone what a sense God's word is? Why would I do it? 
according to verse 3, I'm going to do it to upbuild or encourage or give consolation. One of those three purposes. If it's not one of those three purposes, don't do it. Every once in a while you see something on TV. I sense God just speaking to my heart. He wants me. I did not plan to say this, but I think God wants me to say this now. That if you give five dollars each, then there will be a measure of blessing. And if you don't give five dollars, God's going to kill me. It's kind of a scary thing to say. But you know, things like that are being said. Let me ask, does that upbuild? Does that encourage? Does that bring consolation? Or is it bringing emphasis on himself or herself? That is a violation of scriptural direction with prophecy according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. Don't be duped with things you see on TV or on the internet are things you hear about. Consider the word of God. Now, if you're on the other end of this, someone's coming up to you and they're saying, you know, I just sense God just putting this into my heart. I, I don't know, but I've got a burden. I just want to share this with you. So what do you do when that happens? Well, um, some things to think about. Does it contradict what God has clearly said in his word? All right. If it does, mark it as no. <laughs> That's not right. You're wrong. That's not of God. I don't know where it's from, but it's not of God. All right. So that's why you need to know the Word of God. So does it accord with what God is doing in your life? Does it accord with what God is doing in your life? Is there? Is it mark how God has operated in your life in the past and seems to be operating now? Uh, the, the famous notorious examples is, is those who are dealing with single age um, and, and singles coming up and it comes from guys and it comes from girls as well where they say to some other single person I just, you know what, God's told me to marry you <laughs> how do you respond to that? It's a, well, you know what, that doesn't accord with what God is doing in my life <laughs> might be a good response alright I have no attraction for you all right, that's not in accord with just some things to think about that. Does it glorify God? Or does it glorify the person? What, what is it lifting up? All right, these are questions you need to ask yourself. Who's being glorified by this? So if you're finding yourself on the receiving end, these are some good questions to think through as you go through. This is it's coming from... Uh, some of these questions come from a man by the name of John Mark Carmer who, who brought this out in a sermon. I thought these were really good things and helpful for us to think through as well. Now, um, <laughs> you know what? I won't be able to finish this at all. Um, so, we're going we're gonna to bring this to a point, but there's more to say about the purpose of spiritual gifts, obviously. But especially the idea, the whole reason spiritual gifts exist is to build up the church, to encourage the church. Because we have the Spirit, we can encourage, 
we can build up, we can console the church. Uh, you see this phrase all throughout this chapter. In fact, let me just bring this out. Verse 3, for the upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. Verse 12, strive to excel in building up the church. Verse 17, for you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. And so it's on the negative side. Verse 19, I would rather speak five words in my mind in order to instruct others. You notice verse 26, talking about worship. Let all things be done for building up. Verse 29, at the end of verse 31, so that all may learn and be encouraged. God has gifted every single one of you. If you're a believer, God has gifted every single one of you. And he's given it to you so that you will build up the church that he's called you in. Do you know that? Are you aware of that? You are good. God inspired good at something that is to be used to build up this church as long as this church stays true to the mission of Jesus. I'm going to put that little caveat on. As long as this church stays true to the mission of Jesus. I'm, I'm going to bring out to you that there are some very real needs in our church body. Our children's ministry is hurting like I've not seen before. Word got to me this week of a young child that just lost their desire to come to Sunday school because there was no teacher and made the comment, and I don't think anyone wants to teach my class and lost the desire to come. I'm just going to say that, that that is symptomatic of real serious needs in our children's ministry. Now, if that's going on, we will not be able to reach our area. Because our area is filled with families that have children. And we can say love out loud all we want to, but if we don't love the children that come and express that love, they don't hear it. They don't hear it. And this is across the board from infants up. Some real needs like I've not seen before. There are some needs in our technical areas. In the sound system area. Videos, things that maybe help you and help others that come here understand God's word. Maybe just a little something on the screen helps us visual learners or to hear. (laughs) For most of us, audio learners. We have some real needs in those areas. The problem with making this list is because there's a lot more. There's a lot more. These are just two that are just pretty strong needs out there.